but we're starting at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 2, starting at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And now to our reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is God's word. If we've not met, uh, my name's uh, Matt, Matt Fuller. It's uh, lovely to welcome you. I'm sorry it's so cold. 
Uh, we'll get there, we'll get there. Uh, and if you're a guest or visiting us here today, I've got to be honest with you, this is a slightly odd sermon. No, don't be too put off by that phrase, uh, but um, it is slightly odd. Uh, we'll work our way through Genesis, the early chapters of uh, this term, but today we're really stopping and pausing just on one verse and half of one verse. Uh, so Genesis 1 verse 27, uh, God created mankind in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Uh, although in truth we'll spend more time in Matthew 19, so that's probably where you want to leave your Bibles open. Uh, because this morning I want to think a little bit about gender and particularly uh, some of the current debate about transgender issues. Why so? And some afterwards might say, might say to me, why did you do that? Um, but why so? Because there is, I think, utter confusion, both within the church and within society, about what does it mean? How do we define who that we are? Uh, so here's just a little video. Here's just, a, in one sense, indicative. This is uh, college students at Washington State University uh, being asked some, in one sense, not complicated questions, but their befuddlement shows a little bit uh, of where culture's at. There you have it. There, obviously, he's, in one sense, a light-hearted fashion, making quite a serious point. But there's the utter confusion, isn't there? What, what, what are you allowed to say? What is, how do we form our identity? What does it mean to be human? And clearly, very able college students completely lacking categories for answering that question. So look, we're just looking topically at this this morning. But why don't we turn to the Scriptures and uh, hopefully find a somewhat more informed response to who we are from God's word. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. God and Father, these are complicated matters. These are sensitive issues in the lives of many. So Father, would we understand rightly what your word teaches? Uh, And where it's silent, we wouldn't want to overstate the claims of your word, but would we understand it rightly? As much as anything would, or more than anything, would we understand who we are as your creatures and who we are as those who find their image, find their meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so would we cling to him and be defined by him, we pray, in his name. Amen. That, of course, is not, I don't know how many people would have seen that, it's sort of what, it went viral. I don't know what that means, how many hits something mean, has to have to go viral. Uh, but of course, in, in, in sort of more general culture, this is an issue uh, become particularly prevalent uh, with uh, Caitlyn Jenner. And uh, we've probably got her and this, this sort of famous photograph uh, when she appeared. Uh, Bruce Jenner then, having lived clearly a distressed life for many, many years, uh, uh, clearly an enormous burden to him, the confusion he was under, uh, came out, says, I was born in the wrong body, uh, and so has transitioned to being a woman, and enormous public support, overwhelming public support for what um, Caitlin Bruce Jenner has done. But then again, similarly, about two months after that, you had the case of uh, uh, Rachel Dolzell, who uh, said that she was a black woman. 
when actually she's white. And her parents said, no, no, we're both Caucasians. There's nothing different in our heritage. Our daughter is white. Uh, She said, "Uh, I think that sometimes how we feel is more powerful than how we're born. Blackness can be defined as philosophical, cultural. I am a black woman. And that statement was greeted with outrage, fraud, disgraceful woman. And you think, uh, there's an enormous difference in how those two cases are greeted. And, And why is that? It's confusing. And I think I'll probably say there is, of course, great confusion amongst Christians too. So I think the, the majority, the default position amongst many Christians in this debate, tra- gender, transgender debate, is a sort of silent anxiety. Oh, golly. Uh, what do we say? Shh. Um, or on the other hand, there's uh, a somewhat aggressive response, which is probably going to be very unhelpful. So we're thinking really about gender and transgender issues this morning. As I say, very odd, very unusual for a sermon. But let me just say at the beginning, uh, even as I use that term, it's used in two very different ways. So on one hand, there's a medical condition of those uh, suffering with gender dysphoria, a medical condition. On the other hand, I'd say there's a radical agenda, um, which I think is pretty unhelpful. So on the first hand, gender dysphoria defined as... Uh, a marked incongruence between one's experienced gender and assigned gender of at least six months' duration. Physically, you're one sex, but you feel a different sex, and it's gone on for at least six months. That is defined as gender dysphoria. Now, the numbers that uh, experience that condition... Well, the stats vary. Uh, the 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 The... the it, one in 10,000 men is the largest study, uh, it's sort of the largest figure. So it's somewhere between 1 in 10,000 and 1 in 15,000 men. 1 in 20,000, 1 in 35,000 women apparently suffer according to studies. 0.005%, something like that, I guess, in the end. What causes gender dysphoria? No one knows. There's no medical uh, data on that at all. Now, for those who do suffer, and I think it is a genuine condition, I don't think you can really argue against that, it is a genuine condition in some, those who suffer with it, just before we even get going, I'd want to suggest if you're a Christian, you treat that with enormous compassion and care and support and help. I think in my lifetime I've met two people who have definitely suffered with that and have transitioned. And I think... I never quite understood quite how distressing it was for them. I think it's a, very, a deeply distressing condition. You just read anything of Caitlyn Jenner's, Bruce Jenner's. There's a very confused person who lived through a lot of pain. Okay, so if someone's suffering the medical condition, you've got to treat that with real compassion and care. On the other hand, there is a radical ideology, uh, which is pushing this really hard. And I think you probably want to resist that. So um, uh, here's the poster that quite often gets used, the genderbred man. It's particularly used in uh, schools in the States, but has been used in some in the UK now. Uh, and you can see the picture that there is a difference. Um, in broad brush language, you might say in simple terms, sex is located between your legs, but your gender is located between your ears. 
And there's a difference. So there's the genderbred man uh, that says, we have an identity. It may be male, it may be female, or as it says on the poster, you can't read this, but gender isn't binary. It's a bit of this and a dash of that. So you have different identities, your sex may be confused, who you're attracted to may be confused, and therefore how you express it in your garments, in your dress, etc., may be confused. Now that's a poster that does the rounds quite regularly. If your children's school joined in UK Diversity Week in 2016, it was only about 15% of primary schools did, but if they joined in that, they, your children would have been told this, transphobia is based around the idea that there are only two sexes, male or female. So if you think there are only two sexes, you're transphobic. You, are, you have an irrational hatred, is what certainly 15% of school children would have been taught in the UK this year. Now that's a pretty radical ideology, I guess. Until 20 years ago... People who suffer gender dysphoria, the, 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 certainly the medical stance would have been, if there is an incongruence between your sex and your gender, then it is the wise thing to try and develop people's uh, feelings to meet their sex. But that's completely turned on its head. So now if there's an incongruence, people, the, the push medically is to change your bodies in order to fit how you feel. It's a pretty radical shift in 20 years. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw, there was a uh, documentary on BBC Two last week, Transgender Kids, Who Knows Best? It was pretty even-handed, all in all. It focused on Canada uh, and the witch hunt against clinicians who opposed puberty-suppressing drugs in the under-10s. And one guy in uh, particular, who's recognised as internationally one of the leading experts in gender dysphoria, Dr. Ken Sucker, was sacked because he opposed puberty-suppressing drugs in under-10s. As he would say, internationally, the evidence is that children who grow up with a sense of incongruence between their natural, their bodily sex and their gender, that gets resolved in 80% of cases by the time they hit puberty. Why would you drug kids when 80% of the time it resolves itself? But he's been sacked. Now at that point, a medical problem has become a radical agenda, an ideology. And I think as Christians you'd want to oppose that because it causes damage. Three statements, three statements I want to make uh, uh, this morning. They're on the sheets and we'll go through them relatively quickly. Um, And I've put in one sense the gender bit in brackets. Because here are truths that are true about every human being, but gender is one manifestation of that. So our identity is given. We're creatures, that's how we're born of the living God. Our identity is broken, that's a consequence of the fall that takes place in Genesis 3. Our identity is being restored in Christ. That is true of everyone, certainly everyone who's a Christian, the last statement. And so confusion about gender is just one manifestation of that, okay? Let's say these three things. First then, our gender identity is given. Uh, I said most of the time we'll be in Matthew 19, but uh, uh, Genesis 
1 verse 27, I guess is the key verse. And it goes a bit like this. I don't know if we've got the little table, uh, Jal, but here you can read Genesis 1 27. It goes like this. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God created. You can see in Genesis 1 27, there's a, there's a, there's a very obvious parallel going on in these sentences. It's the same three things said three times in slightly different order. But you see, um, for example, God created man in his image. In his image is the same as in the image of God is the same as male and female. Well, that's striking. And God created mankind is the same as he created him, is the same as he created them. Two interesting points to my mind come out of that. God has instilled in humanity both singularity, it is mankind, and diversity, male and female. The point being there reflects the fact that God is one and he is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. So humanity is set up to image God in his oneness and also diversity. There is relational relationality in the essence of who God is. And at that point you realize to start mucking about with the image of God in humanity, you're mucking about with who God is, or you're trying to. It matters how God has made mankind as one species, but male and female, diversity within the species. Two Fairly obvious things, I think, also from that. Uh, One, gender is embodied. So the body is not something that clothes us, according to Genesis 1. It is part of us. It's not just a garment you take on and take off, and you like green today, but next week you want to wear a black jacket. It is who we are. The differences between male and female are embodied. And of course, in Genesis 2, that's fundamental. That's how male and female, man and woman, come together and become one flesh. Think more about this in a couple of weeks. But Genesis presents men and women as different, and not so much different from one another, but different for one another. God makes them male and female so that they can come together. The differences are so that they can become one flesh, so that they complement one another. That's why they're different. It's what makes men and female and female fitting for one another. And so the point is, I guess, our bodies are not created primarily for self-expression, but for relationship. Now that sort of runs completely against 21st century thinking, where we're all about expressing ourselves. But our bodies are not primarily for expression. They're meant to be relational. That's why we're gendered male and female. And it's pretty obvious in one sense. Uh, uh, the, the sex you have in your body defines who you are. You will be a father, mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. Very different. Key to our identity. Gender is embodied. And gender is binary. Male and female. Not a spectrum. Not a bit of this and a dash of that. One or the other. And while the Bible is clear on that, gender is binary, it doesn't have a lot of rules on what it means to be male or female. 
So there is enormous fluidity on that. You know, it's a sort of madness of modern culture. The, the parent who sees their daughter growing up playing with action man, soldier, rather than bar, Barbie, and says, well, they must be in the wrong body. Well, no, it just happens that way. Sometimes girls want to play soldiers and, and boys want to play dollies. That's just how it is. You don't define and therefore say, oh, they must be in the wrong body. Well, in five years' time, they may want to swap round again. Just give them a chance to play with what they want to play with. But it's when you get this sort of dogmatic rules on what it looks like to be male and female, then you get some confusion, uh, I guess. Most cultures recognize there are natural differences between men and women and symbolize them in clothing in some way. But you want to be careful about being rigid on the rules. But Genesis is very clear. Our gender identity is given. But second then, our our gender identity is broken. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, mankind rebels against God, decides they know best how to run the world. The world is broken by the fall. But the whole of humanity is broken by the fall. Every human that is born is fallen. Every human that is born is sexually fallen in one way or another. So there is lust and excessive desire. And within marriage there is frigidity and rejection. Oh, every one of us is sexually fallen in one way or another. And the world is a messy place, this side of the fall. So it's quite striking when you get to uh, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Jesus is very clear and saying there are two genders. So he affirms Genesis. He has no doubt that that's correct. So Matthew 19 verse 4, haven't you read? He replied, at the beginning the creator made the male and female. And goes on, you know, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Yeah, male and female. He affirms binary, two genders, does Jesus. And then yet can also immediately go on to say, or straight after in the context of talking about marriage, say, verse 12, but you know, there are eunuchs who are born that way. Meaning, I don't know, not able to engage sexually. Clearly there's something wrong there. There are eunuchs made that way. There are eunuchs uh, that is probably, uh, you know, in the culture of the time, serving at the court, perhaps um, castrated as prisoners of war, whatever it may be. Those who choose to live like eunuchs, they choose not to marry. But but it is a messy world, says Jesus. Oh, look, God's ideal, male and female, yes, binary, they come together. but, But some don't quite fit that category. The world is messy, he'd say. Uh, one thing I read this week, um, uh, uh, one book, uh, uh, the two great books, I'll flag them afterwards if you want, but uh, uh, Vaughan Roberts is a very good little introduction, his little book on transgender, just about 70 pages. Mark Yarhouse is the more substantial one, uh, written from a Christian perspective, uh, excellent, but a sort of more solid uh, 300 pages to, to get your head around. Both, I'd say, terrific. But uh, Mark Yarhouse, who is also, as well as being a pastor, a clinical physician, tells the story of meeting a girl called Ella, as one example. He met Ella age 16. She and her parents came to see him for counselling, all three of them Christians. Ella claimed she was a boy. Mark Yarhouse said to her, I don't think you've chosen to experience your gender incongruence. 
she burst into tears and said, my parents have taken me to see three different Christian pastors and all of them have told me I'm sinning because I think and feel this way. He said, no, I don't think you chose this. Now that matters. It's pretty cruel to tell someone in a fallen world that their feelings, this sort of dysphoria, this incongruence is morally sinful. And I think, I think this would be the majority position probably, certainly of Christian professionals would say, you're better off viewing it as well, a clinical condition. And you wouldn't say to the anorexic, to the person suffering depression, schizophrenia, that they're morally culpable for how they act and feel. That is how they are. It's not sin. Question then becomes, okay, here's how I feel. What do you do with that condition? Oh, now that's going to vary. If you go down the radical ideology route, of course you change your sex. Of course, because in the 21st century, we decide what we are. Uh, and so, you know, the, 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 the Danish girl, the, uh, the film, the Eddie Redmayne film the, the sub, the sort of on the posters, be the courage to find yourself, or find the courage, excuse me, find the courage to be yourself. Yeah, yeah, whatever you feel you are, that's what you are. It's the 21st century. You can make yourself be anything, whatever you want yourself, whatever you want to be. And that would get pushed very hard. But if, if you view dysphoria as a medical condition, what do you do with it? Well, in the secular medical world, there is no consensus. Uh, the latest NHS report that came out on gender dysphoria in the autumn said, we don't know. There is insufficient medical data to determine the best treatment. We don't know what to do. Uh, one man who's very clear, clear, Dr. Paul McHugh, he was psychiatrist-in-chief at uh, John Hopkins University in, uh, in Maryland, uh, and they pioneered gender reassignment surgery. But then they stopped it, and they don't treat anyone that way anymore. Because the evidence showed that those who had gender reassignment surgery were not happier, more content than those who didn't. And depression levels... And levels of suicidality were identical for people suffering with gender dysphoria before they transitioned and afterwards. It did not help. So as he put it, we concluded that to provide a surgical alternative to the body of those unfortunate people was to collaborate with a mental disorder rather than to treat it. It wasn't helping, so we stopped doing it said the pioneers. Now, what about when it happens to children? And this, I think, you know, is the subject of the documentary on BBC Two last week. It's a pretty hot topic. Well, again, recently, uh, last year, 2016, uh, a group of American paediatricians spoke out against the practice of puberty-suspending drugs for kids who believe they're the opposite sex. So these are children as young as six saying, I think I'm, I'm, I'm physically a boy, but I feel like I'm a girl. And so they're given puberty-suppressing drugs, so they never grow. This is what they published. 
Young children are being permanently sterilized and surgically maimed under the guise of treating a condition that would otherwise be resolved in over 80% of them. This is criminal. All international studies say that somewhere between 75 and 80% of those who suffer incongruence as a child, it resolves in their teenage years. So to clinically sterilize someone or, oh, that's wicked. So at that point, I think as Christians, we want to say, stop that in children. That's not right. Last, our gender identity is in Christ. When you become a Christian, you are united to Jesus Christ and he shapes your identity more than anything. So I stand here this morning and I'm a Christian. Oh, and I'm a husband and I'm a pastor and I'm a Brit and I'm a Londoner and I'm all sorts of other things. I'm a Chelsea supporter, sorry about that. Uh, I'm all sorts of things, but I am a Christian. And that is the most important thing that defines me and it should be true of any who are a Christian. Oh, we all struggle to get that right. But it must be so. Now that's a very hard thing for people to get around, their heads around, if they're not Christians. Let me give a tangential example. So I found myself in conversation this week. Uh, I was uh, at LSE all week this week, um, speaking sort of a week of talks uh, about Christ. Uh, The question came, uh, how can God say sex is only for marriage? And the follow-up afterwards in conversation, this, this woman said, it's impossible to have a fulfilled life without sexual activity. So how can God deny it to people and say it's only for marriage? That's quite a strong statement. It's impossible to have a fulfilled life without sexual activity. But I guess that is fairly standard view amongst many in the 21st century. Now, if you believe that, of course, it is madness to say uh, sex is only for within marriage between a man and a woman. But that's not true. And you really can have a fulfilled life without sexual activity. Plenty of Christians would know that and say that. And you become a Christian and you realize, no, actually, knowing Christ defines me more than anything. And I can have a fulfilled life. And platonic friendships can be magnificent. Not always. They're not his marriage magnificent all the time either. But platonic friendships can be wonderful. I don't have to have this. Now look, it's a tangential example, but you see, our culture says it's impossible to be happy unless. And so very quickly people say, oh, you, oh, you, feel, you, you, feel, you feel you're of the other gender? Well, very quickly, as, much as, you, as quickly as you possibly can, you need to transition. Because you have to do that. You can't be content in who you are. And that's not true. Quote one little thing, this is in Vaughan Roberts' book, although it was an excellent little summary in one sense. If you're a Christian facing this battle, I own issues of gender. If you're a Christian facing this battle, can I say that these feelings do not define you? They may at least describe partly how you are, but they do not describe who you are. Do you see what he's saying? 
Well, if you suffer gender dysphoria, that's a big deal. That is a battle you're going to have all your life. But it doesn't define you. It is part of your experience in this world. But it's not who you are. You're made by the living God. And you belong to Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. And that defines you. Our identity is in Christ. That's true for all of us. Now, we get it wrong. We, sometimes we're more readily defined by our jobs, by our race, by our families. Yeah, yeah, we get it wrong. By our sexuality, we get it wrong. But it should be our, our identity is defined by belonging to Jesus Christ. Three practical little words, then we're done. Uh, hope, compassion, Christ. Hope. There is hope. If you just look across the page on Matthew 19, this lovely little picture of, of, of in verses 27 to 29. Um, Peter tells Jesus, Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter answered Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit also on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, And here's the encouragement. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields or sexual activity everyone who has honoured me for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. There will be no regrets in eternity for the followers of Christ. Our identities will be complete. Our sexual struggles with who we are, how we behave, will be over. It is for a while. And of course, in this life, the pattern of Christian maturity is often one of learning how to honour Christ in the struggles. Isn't that true? The path of maturity often comes through honouring Christ in the midst of our deepest struggles. It's how he grows us. It's how he makes us look forward. There is hope. A second little practical thing, a word of compassion. Those who experience gender dysphoria are victims of the fall like you and me. Our struggles will be different. Brokenness takes many forms. And those who suffer gender dysphoria, they have to work out their salvation in a way and a path that will look different from many of us. But it's not radically different. We're all broken. Our identities are all being restored to the image of Christ, but slowly. And so I do hope that we treat anyone we meet and knowingly who's suffering with gender dysphoria with enormous compassion. And here's a question, what do we do as a church family? What will you do if someone you've known for a year, you, a new colleague or, or someone comes to church, has been here a year, and after a year of knowing this man, they say to you, do you know I was born as a woman and transitioned five years ago? What will you do? That's a big question. And I hope the response is one of compassion, one of seeking to understand. 
oh, if there's someone who says they want to become a Christian, someone who says, and I have become a Christian, uh, what it means for them to follow Christ now, what repentance looks like, those are not straightforward questions. They'll need space and time to work them through. They've got to do them. Got to honor Christ. But what that looks like is quite hard, actually. For the one individual I know who, who transitioned and became a Christian afterwards, I asked for years, what does repentance look like? And decided to stay in their new body rather than have surgery to go back and just live as a celibate life in that body. But what, is that the right decision? Well, I, but they've got to ask, what does repentance now become a Christian look like? Difficult. But I hope we treat people with compassion because we're all broken. We all need Christ. So just the final obvious thing to say. Practically, more than anything else, to someone you meet or when the issue of this conversation, this topic comes up and there's any heat behind it or just a general one, really you want to speak of Christ <laughs> much more than you want to speak about the issue. I, I hope that's kind of obvious. We live in the 21st century in a world more than any for years is asking, who am I? What are we as humans? But acutely, who am I? What do I want to be? Can I be anything? What, do, what are the parameters? A world that's very confused. And a world that needs to know that every individual is made by God. The God who so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. People need to know that more than anything else. You can only truly be yourself in coming to Christ, knowing him, trusting him, submitting to him, obeying him, trusting his way. But that is what we all need. And he does give us the grace to do it. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, these are delicate and complicated issues. And uh, in many ways, we'd rather think about other things. And in truth, I'd rather preach about many, many things in the Bible than speak on this. But we thank you that your word gives us what we need for life in a complicated world. The answer is not always rules, not always legalism. Uh, in this fallen world, it is messy. So Father, for those of us who are yours, who are Christians, would we be confident in your word and compassionate in applying it in this very delicate area of who we are when people's identities are very confused? Would you give us both that confidence and compassion to point to Jesus Christ as the solution, as the one that everyone needs, no matter what their struggles look like, even in this area of gender identity, People need Christ to be forgiven for their sins by him. To be renewed in his image. Father, would we have confident compassion as we point to him, we pray. Amen.